0: Hey, star friends, welcome to Starfield Pulse episode 20. I'm your host, Rob, and this is Monday, September 25th. Thanks for everybody that could uh, come out for the live show this evening. I really appreciate it got a pretty packed lineup. I'll probably go a little bit over a half an hour tonight. I know I've been trying to keep them there right about 30 minutes lately, but I think there's enough to talk about this evening that we can go a little bit longer. I guess really the biggest news for today was that we got update 1.7.33. Starfield update 1.7.33 released today on September 25th. Let's go ahead and pop on over and take a look at that. All honesty, this is not a very big update, which is kind of surprising with all the things that have been going on with the game that they had such a small patch, but at least it's, I guess, something. So Starfield 1.7.33 update fixes and improvements. Characters fixed an issue that could cause some characters to not be in their proper location. Star stations fixed an issue where star stations would be labeled as a player-owned ship. That's kind of interesting. Just an issue that allowed for a vendor's full inventory to be accessible. Graphics. AMD. Resolved an issue that caused star lens flares not to appear correctly for AMD GPUs. Graphics. Addressed an upscaling issue that could cause textures to become blurry. Graphics. Resolved an issue that could cause photosensitivity issues when scrolling through the inventory menu. Performance and stability. Hand scanner. Addressed an issue where the hand scanner caused hitching. Also, various stability and performance improvements to address crashing and freezes, but they didn't really expand upon that and tell us any more. Ships. Displays. Fixed an issue that could cause displayed items to disappear when applied to in-ship mannequins. Displays. Fixed an issue that would cause items stored in razor-leaf storage containers and weapon racks to disappear after commandeering another ship. Well, that's no good. You steal another ship and then lose all your weapons. Nobody wants that. That's that's terrible. Do you have a lot of articles this week? I will say, though, that there's been a bit of change from the articles that we see where... Previously, you know, we were actually getting some legitimate articles. Now we're finding a lot of 10 best lists, how to and, you know, those are legitimate articles in their own right. We are at the phase where we're going to see a ton of guides. And while I I really enjoy those, that's not really what I'm looking to cover here on the show. So we do you have about six articles and a few social media posts we're going to talk about? First up, though, we're going to take a look at this Kotaku is back they backhanded compliments, and you're probably like, Rob, what do you mean by a backhanded compliment? Well, this title of the article is Starfield is so chill, I keep falling asleep. I did think this one was kind of hilarious, so I wanted to go ahead and take a look at this. This was written by Claire Jackson, and the screenshot is Sarah sleeping on a bed. I'm on a distant planet seeking out better gear while taking in the epic sights. I should be alert for the dangers that lurk around every corner, pirates, mercenaries, Or, goddess forbid, Terramorphs. But it seems I keep running into walls for seconds at a time. Why? Because I keep falling asleep. According to Starfield, I have played for four days, six hours, and 46 minutes. That's 114.1 hours, according to Steam. I regret none of it. When I have more than my fair share of criticisms over what I perceive to be a dramatic number of weak points in Bethesda's latest epic, they're often outweighed by my enjoyment of the game's wonderfully large sandbox. Though its gunfights can be very engaging and the main story particularly catches my attention, I often find myself falling asleep while playing. Both at home and even here at the Kotaku offices. I usually catch myself after what feels like less than a minute, but sometimes my narcoleptic reverie seems to last longer. You know what? It's not just you. But for me, it's not just Starfield. I'll fall asleep playing games all the time. (laughs) It's just... maybe they're getting old. Oh, Somebody get on the uh, X, formerly known as Twitter... And let Claire Jackson know that maybe it's not Starfield. Maybe they're just starting to get old like some of the rest of us. All right. Up next, we've got Cyberpunk is coming out. So, okay. Starfield made me appreciate Cyberpunk 2077 so much more. This is from PC Gamer. And Cyberpunk is being released today. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later but because of that, you know, we're going to start seeing comparisons. They're both RPGs. They're different types of RPGs, but they're both RPGs. So we're going to get comparisons from the two. And let's see what they had to say about, let's see what PC Gamer had to say about Starfield this week. Playing Starfield made me appreciate Cyberpunk 2077 so much more. And this was by Fraser Brown. After my sojourn in space, returning to Night City feels like coming home. It's very interesting. As an absolute RPG hound, I've been having a splendid time lately. And, you know, I think all of us have. Thanks to Baldur's Gate 3 and Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty with its fantastic 2.0 update, I've struggled to leave my PC before 3am on more than a few nights these past two months. I should be exhausted by now, but as I get up to no good in Night City, I couldn't be happier. Playing Starfield first helped. I want to love every game I play, but I just haven't been able to find a lot of joy in Bethesda's huge sandbox. All right, so we're going to stop here because they're just going to sound like they're going to shit on, they're going to start shitting on uh, Starfield. I think it's a little, um, becoming a little tried, this whole compare to Starfield and drag Starfield down to make the other games look better. Now, I will be the first to admit that there are things that Starfield doesn't do very well. But I think right now the narrative is just let's drag Starfield down and continue to crap on it while building up these other games. So, and PC Gamer seems to be one of the ones I'd say is uh, really vicious about it. I don't know that "vicious" is the right word, but I've seen—I don't know—it just feels like Rock Paper Shotgun, Kotaku, and PC Gamer never have anything nice to say. But I guess nice doesn't necessarily make great headlines. All right. That said, PC Gamer did have a nice little article. Sorry about that. So anyways, Garfield players are making the dinkiest little ships. And I thought that these were pretty adorable. So this was by Harvey Randall on PC Gamer. They put this together about three days ago. They just basically compiled a list of ships they found on Reddit that were pretty cool. And as you can see here, they are interesting. We have some little red ones that are... Not very big. They feel like maybe they're half the size of the Frontier. And so for those of you that are listening and you can't see these, I will definitely put a link to these in the show description so you can go back and take a little bit yourself. But I wanted to point these out to the community because I thought they were funny. And the last one they have is my tiny ship, the Barbie Jeep. So again, they plucked these off of Reddit and compiled them a list on PC Gamer. And I will definitely take a link and put these in the show notes. All right, we got that up. Starfield player finds a rare stunning river planet reminiscent of Skyrim. Skyrim's Riverwood and a stunning river in one place. This Starfield player hit a jackpot in space. So this is actually really interesting to me because one of the complaints I've been hearing online from different podcasts and social media platforms is the lack of rivers in Starfield. So it was really funny for me to find this today that they went ahead and had a planet with a river in it. And I will mention that I don't think that I've really seen a lot of rivers in the game either. So I can see why people would make that complaint that there aren't a lot of rivers in the game. But hey, this is pretty funny. So I thought that was worth sharing. And again, they ripped this off of Reddit, which feels to me like most of these media outlets these days that are creating news are just really scraping Reddit. Where it used to be like, Reddit was the place that people would post the news. Now it feels like the news goes to Reddit to scrape for their articles. But anyways, it's a very picturesque scene, and it's definitely worth taking a look at. Again, I will have a link to both of those in the show notes. Another thing I wanted to point out, too, and this one came from social media. This one's on X, formerly known as Twitter, and this is from a user named Nico. It's either Mueller or Miller. And I know it's it's spelled M-U-E-L-L-E-R, but I do know people who actually spell their last name like that and pronounce it Miller, and I know people who spell their last name like that and pronounce it Mueller. So, Nico, I apologize if I got it wrong, but I'm going to go with Nico Mueller for now. It says, it's done. It took to the limit and have built... I'm sorry. I took it to the limit and have built a fully working and sustainable city in Starfield. Video one is an overview, and video two is a walkthrough, and... There is this massive city that he built on Aquila, and I found it, you know, it's very impressive. Again, I'm not the only one who found this and thought it was very impressive. This has been viewed over 280,000 times so far. It's been liked about 2,300 times and re, or I should reposted about 338 times. And each of these, it says, it's got a, it basically ended up making a thread on this saying he used two advanced nuclear fusion reactors and several wind turbines to be able to run the machinery, laser turrets, greenhouses, military-grade scan boosters. His city is near as big as Aquila in the background. Fun facts, eight people and six robots live there with him. Lots of animals and pirates were harmed in the making. It's just super fun to watch level four laser turrets at work. And when you see here are more than 100 production instructions to guarantee a correct material flow. And so... Again, I will make a post of this in the show notes, so you can go ahead and take a look at it for yourself. But it's quite impressive, the scale that people are making these creations and sharing them with the rest of the community. In addition to that post on what was Twitter, I also found a cute little ship that Bethesda posted. And it is a recreation of the Doom little eyeball demon, right? And this was, again, created by a member of the community and post it on Reddit and Bethesda just kind of find it themselves. So, Hey, it's not just the, uh, the, the big media outlets that are scraping Reddit for content. It's the uh, social media community management team for the (laughs) publishers as well. But anyways, they call this the Demon ship one of three. And if you take a look at it, it's quite interesting. And again, I will leave a link to that in the show notes as well. So that way you can take a look at that and share it with or just take a look at it yourself so you would think we're about you know almost a month out from release at this point you would say that at this point we would be done with seeing reviews come out and you would be wrong so we do have one more article for what I like to call the review roundup to go through and this is by Dexerto and frankly they have some really I would think not so great Articles all the time, but I was really interested to see what they had to say about the game now that they've completed their review. And this did get posted about on the 22nd, so it's a few days old at this point. And Patrick Dane is the reviewer, and they said Bethesda has been out for a couple weeks now, and we finally feel ready to pass judgment. With over 40 hours put into the game, is Bethesda's latest game their crowning achievement? Or Does it end up lost in space? And one thing they did is they actually put the score, four out of five stars, like right under the title. So they pretty well answer the question right away. Despite lengthy presentations showing off the game, nailing down what the game was felt hard to grasp. Was this something totally new by Bethesda? Or was it still deeply tied to their previous works like Fallout 4 and Skyrim? How would that play in space exploration game? Would the NASA punk aesthetic work? How big, and importantly, how compelling would this universe be? Now that I've experienced a lot of it, those questions remain complicated. Starfield is everything Bethesda promised, but shy of the game of the generation some had hoped for. I usually have a pretty solid grasp of my feelings on a game after putting so much time into it, but Starfield is a title that has me conflicted. Every time I think, ah, well, this was an underbaked aspect, I remember something genuinely stellar about the game. Conversely, when I focus on the things that are endlessly impressive about the title... A voice drags me back, reminding me I never truly gave myself over to its spell. Starfield is a little at odds with itself. That doesn't mean it isn't consistently great, though. To get to the bottom of this conflict, let's chase the horizon and explore a little deeper. Welcome to Constellation. Starfield very quickly thrust you into the center of its world, with the title dropping you into an enormous universe-expanding mystery and into the arms of its focal point organization, Constellation. We can uh, just skip through that stuff because it's things we all know. The would cliff notes to the biggest questions in the universe. There's not enough time to breathe in this story, nor the opportunity to get worthwhile answers. You'll understand what is going on, but the hows and the whys feel very glossed over. This makes it feel like you're on a conveyor belt to a conclusion rather than on a real adventure. You don't get enough time to marinate on the implications and details. Instead, you end up getting dragged around by an icon on a map rather than by your own sense of exploration or agency. It creates this very mechanical, synthetic feeling to the central mystery that's hard to shake. A great example of this is a mission where you're trying to figure out an ancient mystery that requires you to cross-reference three texts across different religions. You speak to various leaders across these groups, and they tell you their stories. You're then supposed to cross-reference them to find a broader message to direct you where to go next. It's an interesting idea, but it doesn't play out that way. Instead, they tell you their stories. Then, when you return to the quest giver, the dialogue options point out the important things about the story for you. Then the game proceeds to make some utterly wild jumps in logic to arrive at the answer. It's hard to roleplay. Starfield being an RPG should feel like it has great opportunities to roleplay. Crafting a character is central to your experience through this universe. I actually I'm going to take umbrage with this. I think it's actually kind of easy to roleplay because of the vast backgrounds you're allowed to choose from, and the skills at the beginning, and the character creation. And yes, you're being drugged through a story, but there are so many different ways that you can roleplay in this game that I don't think you can even in some of the best RPGs that have come out as of late. So I'll take, I will have to disagree with him on that point. Chips, This isn't necessarily terrible. Sometimes destiny chooses the most unlikely of people. I'd love to have played as a reluctant, but necessary member of constellation. Someone there is a product of circumstances rather than an enthusiastic member of this organization. But most dialogue choices around the main missions felt like they boiled down to yes. Yes. But with a joke, yes. And I want to kill people. Tell me more about this. Now, I realize playing a reluctant RPG character isn't exactly conduct- conducive to progressing a story. We're all doing improv and RPG games. However, I felt I could never strike a tone past generic, cringe comedian, or maniac when interacting with members of Constellation or the broader mystery. And this isn't their words, but this is kind of my interjections. Also, the fact that the, uh, the voice acting by these characters, these supporting characters, your, you know, your companions, was just atrocious. Just And they have a picture of Sam Coe there, and he was probably one of the the worst offenders. Just absolutely abysmal. Just, yeah, yeah. okay, I'll have to (laughs) get off that, or I'll never stop. But And then they get it to another subheading, and they say, Starfield never stops to be impressive. The Cosmic Parrot, let's see, Ultimately, Starfield is a game I love and feel exasperated by at the same time. This is a deeply impressive game, and Bethesda can be very proud of the universe they've built. For the most part, it's a joy, and there are dozens of hours of worthwhile exploration to be had. At the same time, the main story is not handled as well as it needs to be. It feels like the core weakness at the heart of Starfield. This doesn't just affect the central narrative, but also the role-playing aspects of the game, undercutting your existence in the universe. It also houses a, general, a central cast, and organization that should be the humanity of the story, but that only adds to a greater sense of... Artifice. That's why it's tricky to sum up my overall feeling about Starfield. It's one of conflict, one of great appreciation and awe at the achievement, but also one grasping for a sincere soul that isn't there. However, I've arrived at the end of my journey amongst the stars, and I'm left with a feeling. Despite everything, I want to play more. Eh, okay. I guess it did its job, right? It entertained you as you want to play more. Verdict. They give it a 4 out of 5. Starfield is truly impressive, and when it allows you to breathe and live out your fate in the stars, it's a consistently compelling journey. However, the main story and the central mystery act as a black hole, threatening but never quite succeeding to drag it down into complete oblivion. Alrighty, so there we go. Dexerto ended up giving it a 4 out of 5. So that's a pretty good score, right? Over in what I would like to call the mod corner, we have two that I want to take a look at this week. And the first up is... A seamless space travel in Starfield is now available thanks to a new mod. If you're bummed that Starfield is not like No Man's Sky, where you can seamlessly travel from space to planet, there's now a mod available that is just that. Spotted by PC Games in modder 105Gun, has introduced a mod that finally adds seamless space travel into Bethesda's sci-fi RPG. As described on Nexus Mods, when installed, the mod Slower Than Light allows Starfield players on PC to control the speed gear of their ship using hotkeys. The maximum speed is the equivalent of hundreds of times the speed of light, allowing players to travel between the planets without fast travel and more importantly, no load times. Thank you. So for everybody that has a concern that this game is really just like loading screen simulator, which it can very seriously feel like at times, this mod is for you. Next mod I wanted to point out is that, you know, those of you that watch the show know that from time to time, I do have a beard, so I like to partake in the whole beard growing. Yeah, I totally lost the word that I was going to use there. <laughs> it's not a hobby. It's not a passion. It's a something. Anyways, Starfield Beards just got a whole lot more detail with this mod. 4K Beards for the high res rugged spacer. Bummed that your Starfield character's beard doesn't look nearly as lush and masculine as you'd like it to? Well way no more over patchy stubble because this absolute hero has just raised the bar or more specifically the texture resolution for starfield beards creator bulwark hd on nexus mods beards just went hog wild so they're highly detailed and you have better facial hair now so there are a couple of screenshots on here and again this article will be posted in the show notes for those of you listening that want to see how different it really is there are there is a large difference. Beards definitely have a lot more hair into them now and look a lot fuller. But, you know, it's sometimes people don't have thick or full beards, so you can always leave it unmodded and have people that have sparse or Spartan beards. The biggest news that came out today, though, and I think may have actually flown under the radar a little bit, is that there is a podcast out there by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. This podcast is called The Game Maker's Notebook, and this is hosted by Ted Price. And if you don't know who Ted Price is, Ted Price is the founder and CEO of Insomniac Games. You may know Insomniac from such hits as the Ratchet & Clank series and also Marvel's Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 that's coming out soon, So Ted sat down and talked with Todd, and they have a few questions that I'd like to highlight for us that we go ahead and take a look at. Let me go ahead and get this pulled up. I know some shows get to have fancy producers, but I'm a one-man show and I get to do this all on my own. So you'll have to bear with me just one minute as I get this YouTube pulled up. All right, I can hear it. They're playing a commercial and That Avatar, the last Airbender game, does not look very good. So let's see here. Get on the right screen. All right. And you should be able to see Ted is on the left and Todd is on the right. And this, I jumped to this section right here, and it has to deal with managing expectations, keeping their imaginations on fire.
1: I think the Direct was, again, I'm referencing the Starfield Direct, the one we did at E3, non-E3 Xbox showcase thingy.
0: I wanted to point this out real quick, too, because of the way he kind of dismissively calls it the E3, not E3 Xbox thingy. I I just thought that was kind of funny. I mean, I know he's not like putting it down, but it was just kind of humorous to listen to.
1: There's a couple of things there. One was it, it sounds weird, but I think it's important internally is to show the passion of the team, how long mm-hmm. we spend on this and getting a lot of people up there talking about the systems um, because their excitement for it. These are the people who made those specific things. And there are hundreds hundreds more that we didn't show. I think that was important for for us to be like how passionate we are about the game.
0: So I think that really came through. You know, he's talking about the Starfield Direct, the 45-minute presentation that they had that was after the E3 presentation. And the fact that they had so many different people on the team participate in it. So you got to see creators actively be passionate about the project. And it wasn't just the leads. It was people that were down in the trenches working on the game on a daily basis. So I think it did a great job. I've watched that presentation so many times and covered it with the community so many times that I can say that they definitely made it very interesting. It was fun to watch and dissect. And you could definitely see the passion for the game from those people. The next thing I wanted to really take a look at real quick is it's basically they they talk about leave your sort of a much larger system than we were leave your fanboy at the door that's not what they're going to call it but they talk about the fact that Insomniac was purchased by Sony during the middle of making Spider-Man and there's parallels to Bethesda being purchased by Microsoft while they're in the middle of making Starfield for a few years ago. And so a big change that occurred during production. I know for y'all is that Bethesda became part of Microsoft and we right. went through the same transition with Sony when we were making Spider-Man. So a couple questions. What is this been the like- cool
1: part? We get like spicy talk about being acquired by console. Well, kind of. Yeah. I wanted to ask,
0: are we sworn, <laughs> are we sworn enemies now? Should we even be are we
1: allowed to talk. Yeah. God, I love your games. It's a shame. Thank
0: you. <laughs> well, that's true. Thank <laughs> God you guys publish on PC. I love that because I can, right, I right. don't necessarily have to have all the consoles. I have a PC right in front of me that I can play Starfield on. So again, you should be able to pick up from the tone of these two gentlemen that are basically, you know, Ted is the head of Insomniac and Todd is, while is not really the head of Bethesda, he is basically the de facto head of Bethesda. You know, two of the largest and most well-renowned developers in North America, and one is for Sony and one is for Microsoft, and these guys don't have animosity towards each other. They love and support one another's work, and members of the community should feel the same way. The console wars are bullshit. They are stoked a little bit by the console manufacturers themselves, but it's not necessarily because they don't want you to buy the competitor's product. It's because that type of engagement, they know that type of behavior drives engagement. It puts eyes on their products. It drives sales. But really, at the end of the day, it's garbage, right? And this is what I tell anybody and everybody who always asks me. It's like, what's your console of choice? For me, it's what's the game? If a game is a console exclusive, I play that game, obviously, on that console. If a game is multi-platform, I tend to play it on the Xbox. If a game is, you know, a timed exclusive, I'll go with wherever it's at. I look at consoles and PCs, they're tools, and use the right tool for the job. Other than that, I don't care whose name it's on the box. and We shouldn't stoke animosity from one to the other. And if you see people on social media doing it, they're doing it for engagement. They're trying to make you mad, so you click on their stuff. Don't fall for their toxicity, right? Just game, have fun. Uh, and that's it, right? Don't sit there and throw stones at each other because someone wants, wants to play on their Nintendo Switch, uh, unless they're playing Mortal Kombat 1 on their Nintendo Switch. Then they don't throw stones at them. Like, feel sad for them because they just got screwed out of $70. bucks. All right, this next question they're mm-hmm. asking... Ted is asking Todd about the genesis of the idea for Starfield. And we're going to get a commercial from Disney. All right, there we go.
1: Uh, We were in the middle of Fallout 4, and that's usually the time where we're going to figure out what we're going to do next, Um, just for us to have conversations in the studio. So we are call it two years out, maybe a little more from Fallout 4 coming out. And I was pretty set on, I wanted this to be our next thing. I felt like if we didn't do it, sort of lay it down, like this was going to be our next IP, our next game after Fallout 4, we kind of would never get the chance. And I went to uh, uh, Robert Altman, who ran the company, um, to sort of say, hey, I'm going to pitch you on this game. And I really, I had had the name name, and I was worried that someone else would use the name Starfield in some way. So I wanted to trademark the name, um, which if you look back, that's when it sort of hits the press like, oh, Bethesda has trademarked this game, Starfield, which was when people first started talking about it because they kind of look at those filings. Um, and that was in 2013. That's why I remember the date. I don't know.
0: All right, so he talks about remembering the date and when they first filed and talking to Robert, who recently passed away. And that's the Robert that they're dedicating the game to when you see the credits, not me, thankfully. I'm not going to go through the entirety of this interview, but I would encourage you to take a look at the Game Maker's Notebook and you can watch it on YouTube. They're also on Spotify and all the other podcasts, all the other podcast services. So if you want to listen to it, you can listen to it there. They talk about expectations for Starfield with fans, advice for system designers, experience transitions into Microsoft, taking notes from other games, when the idea of Starfield was born, developing the muscles for making games, designing for flexibility, player expectations for the RPG genre, complexity and scope for recent games, how Starfield lore was developed, what part of Starfield is built first, challenges in space combat, what to prioritize in game development, how testing is done at Bethesda, Staying Fulfilled in Game Development, Todd's New Perspective After Time Off, Todd's Thoughts on Leadership, and Last Words for Fans and Newcomers. All right. So those are the topics that you can find within that podcast. And again, I encourage you to give it a listen. Uh, It's pretty informative. They talk about some interesting stuff. And again, you can see two pillars of these different one Sony, one Microsoft community that clearly have no animosity, but nothing but the ultimate respect for each other's work. So again, console wars, stupid. Don't get involved with them. Toxicity just to sell consoles. You can obviously see that the people that are really behind these games and behind these systems care nothing for it. All right. On that note, I did mention earlier, we would talk a little bit about cyberpunk. I'm not going to get too far into the details on it, but I will say that if you are interested, I did get an advanced copy of it. I was able to play through and I did a review on it. It's up on my YouTube channel, Rob Unwraps. I will leave a link to it in the show notes. I gave it a nine out of 10. I think it is fantastic. I know a lot of people are spinning the narrative that this bit, you know, revived the game I think they did a good job of that on their own by the time they got to like patch 1.63 or something to that effect. It took a couple years, but they finally, by the time, like if you remember the time of it, when Edge Runners came out on Netflix, by that time they had Cyberpunk as a great game. If you're concerned and you already own Cyberpunk 2077, you actually don't have to purchase anything to get the new 2.0 update. Just re-download it, install or, you know, install the game, it'll patch to 2.0 for you and go ahead and check it out and see all the improvements that they made. And then if you're like, yeah, I really like this, I'm having fun, then purchase the expansion. Regardless, you're getting about like, you know, five to 10 more hours of free content to go ahead and play around with that doesn't cost you, you know, anything. Like I said, it's free. That's going to do it for episode 20. I really appreciate everybody that came by during the Twitch stream and said hello. For those of you listening on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, I appreciate if you would leave me a five-star review and maybe a kind word. If not, I do read them all. And I did see one recently where someone gave me a one-star and their feedback was, hey, don't reiterate completely what somebody just said in their interview. I heard you loud and clear and I will take that under advisement. I'm Rob, thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.